0: Good morning, Living Hope. Um, so glad that you're here with us. You know, there is a really important distinction that all of us need to make uh, between religion and the gospel. And if you're not too familiar with the church, or maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe new to the faith, it might, it might be kind of confusing to hear that. Religion and the gospel, isn't Christianity and, in the, and the gospel uh, one of uh, the, the many religions? Isn't it kind of, confusing to to hear something like that. And and for Christians, when we hear uh, a message about the gospel, I think we have a tendency to maybe tune out because it's something that we feel like we already know. But it's so important for us to have gospel precision and gospel clarity it's imperative for us because what can happen is if we're not clear on it, uh, we can actually uh, begin to kind of confuse the two ourselves. And what happens sometimes in the life of church-going Christians uh, who, who've grown up here uh, for their lives is uh, we can begin to create this sort of hybrid, um, this this blend between religion and Christianity and, and the gospel to, to form this sort of myth this Christianized religion. And the reason why it's so important for us to distinctively know the difference between religion and the gospel is, see, Jesus, when he was here, he taught about this. He taught against this. And the group of people that he taught against the most, it wasn't the irreligious people, it was the religious people. And he says to them, sharp words, he says things to them like, you don't really know me, you have a lot of this wrong. I don't know you, you're not gonna inherit the kingdom. Jesus speaks against those who are religious and Paul, he emphasizes this point later in his letters, he says, the gospel is of first importance. It is the most important thing. See, religion on the one hand, it leads to death, it leads to destruction, it leads to despair. Religion, it is damning. But the gospel, it is something that could provide power, healing, joy, love, and life. They are completely and radically different. And we, we need to be able to distinguish the two. And so today, this is what we're gonna be looking at. religion versus the gospel. What is the difference between the two because understanding the difference is of maybe the highest importance. So what does it look like for us? And and you might be um, sitting at home or wherever you are and you might be thinking, okay, whoa, 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 okay. Um, you're, You're a little bit too intense here. Isn't it all like pretty much the same? Like, you're, you're a Christian. You work for the church. You're a Christian, right? And so you're trying to convert me. Isn't this what's happening right now? Like, you're up there talking about uh, love and, and faith and life. Doesn't other religions talk about that also? Like, Catholics and Mormons and uh, people who are Muslim or um, Buddhist, don't, don't they all talk about things like this? Isn't it pretty much all the same but we're just using different language? Like, like what is the, the big difference between all the other religions and the gospel and Christianity? What, what really is the difference? And Ravi Zacharias, he says this, I think it's really helpful, he says, people say that religion is fundamentally the same and superficially different when in actuality, religions are fundamentally different and at best, superficially the same. See, we do share very similar terms. We do talk about certain concepts, uh, about love and joy and and, and suffering and things like this, but what, what really is the difference? And this is what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna actually compare and contrast the two. Because for those of us who maybe aren't very familiar, we need sharpness, we need precision, we need clarity, and for those inside the church, we need to be reminded of this message. And also, we must not blend the two together. And so what is the difference between religion, all the other religions, and Christianity and the gospel? Let's compare and contrast. And if you're a visual learner like me, uh, it might be helpful for you to look at the notes if you have another device or something like that. And so uh, we're gonna kinda go through these things and we're gonna be in the text of Ephesians two today. Um, I feel like it's always helpful to just anchor ourselves in scripture so we kinda know you know, we're not going off of our own thoughts or ideas, but we're just kind of anchored and grounded in God's word. We're gonna be here and we're gonna look at four main distinctions, uh, four differences between religion and the gospel. Four things, and it goes like this. Number one, we're gonna look at condition. Uh, number two, we're gonna look at salvation. Three, transformation. And lastly, number four, motivation. So first, condition. What, what's the problem? What, what, what's going on in our lives? What, how, how are we as humans right now uh, the second thing, we're gonna look at salvation. Uh, how are we saved? How, how can we be, be set free? What does that look like? Uh, number three, transformation. Who do we become? Who are we? What's our identity in light of these things? And lastly, motivation, number four. What is the goal? What's the point of adhering to a religious system? Why would I wanna become Christian? What do I get? What is our motivation? And so we're gonna look at these four different things as we compare and contrast religion, the gospel. Let's dive in. Ephesians 2, uh, verses one through three, it says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among uh, whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so it's, uh, we start here in Ephesians 2. And religion says that our condition is bad. Whatever language is used, uh, whether it be sin or evil or darkness, there is something obviously wrong with the world and something wrong with us. And so what religion says is our condition is, well, of of course we do some good things, there's some positive things we do, but there's also evil and sin and darkness in us. And so where we are bad people, that's that's kind of our problem, this is kind of our starting point, our condition. But the gospel says our condition is far worse than just being bad. In Ephesians 2, one, it says we are actually dead. We're spiritually dead because of our trespasses, because of our sin, uh, because of these things that we wrestle with and we fall into, it actually spiritually kills us. We're, we're dead all together. Um, if you continue, in verse two it says this, uh, we once walked or lived a certain way. Walk. this is a metaphor of life. Uh, we walked with the world, we followed the world, we followed uh, the, the prince of the power of the air, uh, which is Satan, we followed him, um, and it, it says that we were led to disobedience. This is what first happened in the garden. Satan went up to Adam and Eve, he tempted them to follow their own passions, their own thoughts, their own desires. And as they did that, Satan pushed them and questioned them and said, is that really what God said? Why don't you make the decision? why Why don't you decide what you want to do? Eat the fruit if you want. And so they did, and once they ate it, sin has infected and corrupted humanity, all of us, and that we are spiritually dead. And more than that, uh, it continues in verse three and it says that because of the sin that we've fallen into, because we followed after our passions, our desires, our minds, our thoughts, because we fall into this sin, we are subject to something called wrath. See, God is holy and he cannot stand, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And also because he is just, he, he must punish sin, not in a vengeful way, but in a way that is fair. And so wrath is what we are destined for. So the gospel says this, we're spiritually dead, we're, watch this metaphor that Paul is painting for us. We're spiritually dead, we're like these zombies, we're following uh, the ways of the world, we're following Satan, we're just aimlessly walking, following our own desires, headed for wrath. That is our condition, that we are dead, we were dead. That's the first thing. Number two, the, the second thing that we're gonna be looking at is this, we're gonna look at salvation. So how does salvation work? How does salvation, how are we saved? If if religion says we're bad, then the way that we are saved according to religion is, you're saved then through works and faith. See, this is how it kind of goes down. If you're bad then, That means you did bad things or you had bad thoughts or bad motivations. And so maybe what you can do is to become good, to to become a good person, well, you just need to do works, like good works. And so it could be things like, okay, well, you need to read this text, these religious texts, or you need to go pilgrimage, or you need to give more money, and you need to serve, you need to do these things, and so religion gives you a task list, it gives you all the, all this advice for you to do, and so it's kinda like, well here, here's a Bible, here's some beads, uh, here are the pillars, here are the laws, go, get to work, go for it. Make yourself better through this work, do more good work to kinda cover up some of the bad that, you, that you've done, and then on top of that, it, Religion also says, well, on top of the good works, you also need to believe. You need to believe in this higher power or this uh, spiritual realm, divinity. You You need to increase your faith. And so do whatever you have to do to build it up so that your faith can be bigger and bigger and bigger. And so this combination of your work and your faith, that will save you. So religion says that for salvation, it comes by works and faith. But the gospel says something very different. And and see, it's so important because we we first need to establish the condition, the state that we're in. Depending on what the problem is, depending on what the diagnosis is, the treatment and solution is gonna be very different. See, the, the religious path of salvation, if it was applied to gospel condition, it doesn't make sense. See, because our starting point is we're spiritually dead, what can a dead person do? How can a corpse increase their faith? It can't happen. It doesn't work. What what can someone dead do? They they can accomplish nothing. So, So how can salvation happen? It must come from the outside someone else to bring the salvation in, to save this person. Continue to look with me in Ephesians 2, four through five. It says this. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Religion says salvation is by your works and your faith, but Christianity in the gospel says, you are saved by grace through faith. You were dead, but God made you alive. How? By grace through faith. This is such an important concept. Grace is the, the unique doctrine, the, the, the unique teaching from every other religion. Every other religion says, you have to do work. You have to believe. You need to make some of this stuff happen. But the gospel says, no, no, no. You're saved by grace through faith. It's something utterly and completely unique and different and better. And so what is the grace that we're talking about? How we're saved by this grace? What are we talking about? We're made alive in Christ. What does this mean? See, at the end of a lot of uh, church services, um, an, an ordained pastor will come up, not myself, someone else, and they'll say something like, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you. Go in peace, you're dismissed. And the benediction, the, this prayer of blessing, it starts with, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What, is, what really is the essence of the gospel? And we hear so many things like, well, the gospel, it's love. The gospel is Jesus died for you. But what really is the grace of the the Lord Jesus Christ, what, what, what does that actually mean? Because this is how we're saved. It's important for us to clearly know what it is. And, and I think uh, John Stott, he actually summarizes this point of grace really well as he's describing the gospel. He says this, the essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. This is the work of Christ. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we're saved, substitution. This is such an important doctrine. See, in, when, when Adam and Eve sin, every time we sin actually, it's us putting ourselves in the place of God saying, you know what, I think I know better. I'll, I'll, follow, I'll follow, I'll do, I'll think certain things, and I'll go my own way. It's us substituting ourselves for God, so in salvation, it's God substituting himself for us. What is that? See, Jesus, the grace he gives us is, is himself, himself coming in our place. See, Jesus, he, it's, it's the totality of who he is and what he's done for us. And we can kind of sum it up like this. Jesus came to live the life that we needed to live but couldn't we fall short into sin, into temptation. But Jesus came and obeyed God the Father perfectly in perfection, he lived a perfect life for us. He did that for us in our place in his life, but also all the way until his death. And so Jesus also died on the cross for us and and when he did that, he took our sins and also the wrath that we deserved. Remember, God, he's supposed to pour out this wrath upon sinners, but Jesus says, In my death, on the cross, I will drink the cup of wrath that you cannot handle. I'll take it for you. I'll substitute myself in your place. This is the grace of Jesus. This is how we're saved. Ephesians 2, if we jump down a little bit more, Ephesians 2, eight through nine, Paul actually clarifies this doctrine of grace. And he says this, Ephesians 2, eight, for grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. We might be tempted to think this. If religion is works plus faith, and the gospel teaches salvation, which is uh, we're saved by grace through faith, we might be tempted to think, okay, well, grace saves us. It's the grace of Jesus, the work of Jesus 2,000 years ago. That saves us, but then also, well, we need to believe in that. I need to muster up enough faith in my heart, enough trust, enough spirituality to to, to take a hold of this. But this verse, in verse eight, tells us something radically different. It says, this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. And the word, it's gonna get a little technical here, okay? This is not your own doing. What are we talking about? What, what is this? It's, it's so important. This isn't th- just the grace that we're saved by. The this is the combination of everything that came before. And so it says this is not your own doing, this is not your own work. What Paul is talking about here is, it's not just that grace is of Jesus, but that our faith, Our faith isn't even our own work. Our faith isn't even from ourselves. Paul is saying all of this is a gift. Grace and your faith, that's all given by God to you. So we can't work to muster up faith. It is a gift of God that he graciously gives. What we can do is pray for these things. God, help me believe. Give me faith. We sing songs like this, and it's accurate to say Religion says we're bad, that's our condition, and the way that we're saved is by working and by believing, but the gospel says sin has made us dead, and God in his mercy, in his love, by his grace, made us alive by sending Jesus to live and die for us, and he gives us faith to believe in that. By grace, we're saved. Let's continue Uh, and and look at this. Um, Transformation, number three. So what does it look like? Religion, who are we? Who who do religious people become? Well, if you think about it, we start out at this point of being bad. You do good works, you try to muster up enough faith in, in whatever the spiritual, the divine, and so, what, what do we transform? What do religious people become? Religious people, well, they're transformed into, hopefully, better people. That's pretty much how it goes. Hopefully, they can break free from maybe some addiction, some brokenness, some pain in the past, whatever that looks like, that's what religion teaches, for you to better yourselves, hopefully. And, and kind of the issue with this transformation is, well, if salvation is up to you, well, you need to work for it, you need to have enough faith, then, then, then it's, it's hopeful that we become better people. It's not guaranteed. And so there's a few issues that come with this. So the first one is, religious people, they fall into this mindset where they have a very fragile identity. When they're doing good, when they're doing what they're supposed to do, well, they feel pretty good about themselves. But the problem is, well, what if you're not living up to the standard you ought to? How do you feel then? maybe pretty guilty, maybe pretty ashamed, like a failure. You you feel like up and down, everything is up and down constantly. You have a very fragile identity if you're religious. You you wanna transform, you wanna change, but so much of it is up to you, there's so much pressure in that. And what also uh, is another problem that uh, stems out of this is uh, this idea of comparison. If it's up to me, my faith, my works, and for, for you, it's your faith, your works, then I can compare. Then it's, I did these things, you did those things, well then I'm better than you, I measure up, or maybe you're better than me. And so we fall into this uh, kind of the cycle of um, pride or also idolatry, just puffing ourselves up or, or making people too puffed up. We kind of fall into this trap, religion. We're transformed to become better people, but the gospel says, I will give you an identity that is much more secure, that is much greater. Ephesians 2.6, it says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, not only has God raised us, uh, made us alive, given us new life, it says here that uh, God has raised us and seated seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. And it's so fascinating. This is kind of like past tense verbiage. This is something that's already happened. And so, do you know what this means? This means if you believe in the gospel, if you believe in this good news, then your identity is eternally secure. You have it. You're seated with Christ. You're raised with him. You're gonna be with him. Do you know what this says about you? This means if you fall short, if you fall into temptation, if if you're trapped in in, in sin, if, if you're struggling, if you're having this difficulty, but you believe and you repent, and you have faith in the grace of Jesus, that means whatever you feel, whatever ups and downs you feel spiritually, hey. Your identity is secure, why? Because that doesn't change what happened 2,000 years ago with Jesus on the cross, whether you read the Bible this week or not. How does that change? It doesn't change the past. See, our, our salvation is anchored in Jesus, his work for us, his life for us, his death for us, and so we're eternally secure. We don't have anything to worry about. And how are we transformed then? If we're with Christ, see, it says we're seated, we're raised, we're seated with Christ in heaven, but this is, is this literal? Of course not, like I'm at church, I don't know where you're at right now, but what does this actually mean that we're seated with him? Well, this also means this. This means Christ is on the throne. See, Christ, that actually means Jesus. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying King Jesus. We don't have to follow the ways of the world. We don't have to follow Satan. We don't have to fall into temptation anymore. We can listen and obey the true king, our savior, Jesus. And he says, follow me. Take my yoke. My life is different. I'll give you a different lifestyle. Come with me. And the transformation is this. Not only is our identity secure, but we're gonna become more and more like him. This is the transformation that the gospel teaches us. The gospel says you will be transformed to be more like Christ until you see him. This is the promise, this is the guarantee. So whatever suffering, whatever sin, whatever hardship comes your way, well it's to shape us and make us to be more like him. Religion teaches that transformation is, that will hopefully be better, but the gospel teaches us that we will be transformed to be more like him and we will be with him, eternally secure. That's the third thing, Uh, transformation. And lastly, motivation. What's the point? What's the why, why should I be religious? Why should I adhere to anything that religion teaches? What's, what's, what's the goal? And, and religion, I, I think they would say this. The goal, the reason why you should be religious is, very simple actually, it's blessing. You will be blessed. If you think you're bad, then do some good things, believe, hopefully you'll be better, so that what? God will bless you, he'll reward you, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Whether it be uh, going to the, the college you wanna get into, uh, maybe it's finding that spouse, having that spouse that you want, landing that job, the career that, that you've been dreaming of, having a family, having kids, grandkids, whatever it looks like, it's blessing for you now, and maybe later, and maybe for your friends and family, your, your inner circle, it's, it's blessing. That's the motivation. But the motivation of the gospel is far greater and far better than just blessings. These things that we have now, they'll fade away. This is what it says. Uh, Look look with me. Uh, Ephesians 2, 7, and 10. These will be the last two verses we look at. It says this. So that in the coming ages, he might show the imagination. immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Religion says if you adhere to the system, you get blessed. The gospel says this is the true motivation. If you believe in the gospel, if you believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, you get God. That's what we get. We get God. In verse seven it says you're gonna get riches, you're gonna get immeasurable riches. Oh, what kind? Uh, Immeasurable riches of grace in Christ Jesus. We get him. That's what we get as a reward. God, it's all about him. We didn't do anything. We were dead. He's the one who made us alive. He rescued us. He sent his son. He gave us faith. He changes and shapes us to become more like him. And so, of course, he gets the glory. We live for him. We get him. And then in verse 10, it says, you are my workmanship. I've created you, what, for For good works. Jesus teaches on the Sermon Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew five he says, let your light shine before men so that what? They may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So what's our motivation? We get God, we get relationship with the Creator, with our Savior, with our King, our good Father, and we get to glorify Him by showing Him to other people. That's our motivation, that's what drives us. That's why we believe, we get him, we get to be with him, we get to be like him. That's what we get for eternity. Religion, it teaches that bad people, if you work, if you have faith, you'll hopefully become better, and maybe you'll be blessed, but the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the message that the church is built on. It says, we are spiritually dead, we need a savior from the outside, and by grace, through faith, we are saved. That we can become more like him, and eventually, we will have him, we will be with him. We get God. And so let's get practical, just a minute or so left, so real quick, let's get practical. What do we do with this? What do we do with the gospel? And I wanna clarify by saying this. The gospel is not something you do. You don't do good news that happened. You don't do it. You can read about it, you can hear it, you can think about it, you can remember it, you can respond to news, but you can't do good news. So we can't do the gospel, so how do we apply it to our lives? Just three really quick things. The first one is this. Believe in the gospel. That's how we can respond. Are you adhering to the gospel values and system and perspective of Jesus? Or do you believe in some form of religion or even even some hybrid of Christianized religion? Put your faith in Jesus and the pure grace of God if you have not done so yet. That's the first thing we're called to do. When we hear the gospel, we're, we're called to believe in it. The second thing, remember the gospel. Remember this good news. It happened over 2,000 years ago, but it is unchanged. It's unchanged, but it can change us. It it can shape our perspective. Remember the gospel, what do I mean by that? Preach the gospel to yourself and to the people around you. What what do I mean? I, I, I mean this, when you fall into sin, and you feel this heavy burden of guilt and shame, and you wonder, does God even love me? Does God even want me? Does he even wanna be with me anymore? He probably doesn't even wanna look at me. Preach the gospel to yourself. I am accepted, I'm loved, not by my work, not by my merit, not even by my faith, but because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Are you exhausted and tired and burnt out? Preach the gospel to yourself that there is nothing more you can do for God to love you because he already loves you perfectly. He sees Jesus, you're in Christ. So when he sees you, he sees his perfect son already. The pressure is off. It's okay if you fail, it's okay if you mess up. The pressure is off. Do you feel alone? The gospel says you're you're never alone. You're seated with Christ, you're raised with him. Are you struggling with sin? Are you in pain, difficulty, hardship? Well, the gospel says, everything that comes your way, even the difficult things, it's made to sanctify and purify you so you can become more like him. It's good, you're gonna be, be like Jesus. And ultimately, we do everything for him. Continue to preach the gospel to yourself. This is why we read, sing, Listen to sermons, pray together, have fellowship in small groups, why? We're trying to remember communion, we're trying to remember the gospel because we're so prone to forget. So number two, remember the gospel. And lastly, praise him, worship. May our prayers not just be prayers of petition, but thanksgiving, gratitude, joy, Let us constantly have this stirring in our hearts. Because why? Because he's done all this for us. He gave us life. We're saved. We can have joy. We can rejoice because of the goodness of God. Religion. It tells us that bad people, if they do work, if they believe, maybe they'll become better so that they can be blessed. But the gospel teaches us we're dead. But God made us alive by grace through faith and we will become like him, and ultimately, we get him. This is the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, this gift of salvation, that it's not by our work at all, but you've done everything, you've initiated everything, and even the faith we have in you is a gift from you. So God, help us to believe We pray for those around us, our friends and family, to believe, and God, help us to remember. It's so hard for us to constantly remember this story of grace. So God, give us these spiritual disciplines and paths to constantly remember your goodness. God, and help us to sing praises to you, because by grace alone, we've been saved, so we rejoice until we see you and be with you forever. We pray all this in Jesus' name.